0: Hello and welcome to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. Thank you for tuning in today. If you get an opportunity, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at 814NEXT. This is a must-see show. We are close to the midterms, and we have somewhat of a special format today. I like to call this our Crossfire Edition, which basically means you'll hear representatives from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party today just expressing their views on their parties, some of the upcoming races. Hopefully, you'll feel more informed when the show is done. The main objective is for you to be engaged and involved in the political process. So joining us on the show today, representing the Democratic Party, first we have Ms. Nikki Page. Nikki, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Jim Wirtz. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Marcus. And representing the Republican Party, uh, Gary Carver. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. And Robert J. Yates. Robert, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning. Glad to be here.
0: All right. So we'll start with the obvious. A week ago, we had the president of the United States here in Erie, Pennsylvania. And that is obviously a big deal no matter who the president is. And it drew a very, very large crowd. We pulled a couple of photos courtesy of Times News just outlining that event. And it's, it's interesting because this president is very polarizing. I find very few people in the middle. You either love them or you hate them. And so the Trump effect is something that we want to start with right now. Um, From a Democrat perspective, how would you, what would you say about the effect that this president's had on um, the political party or the political structure so
3: far? I think nationally, within the Democratic Party, this president has been uh, a unifier for the Democratic Party. Certainly, he's given us um, something to focus on. Um, I, I like to say that uh, the Democrats aren't as interested in, uh, in criticizing this president as they are in defending the office of the presidency. Um, and, uh, and I think that Democrats can rally around that idea. Um, you know, we certainly have some, uh, so, some policy differences uh, with the, the administration. Uh, and I think, that, uh, I think that what you saw last week here in Erie uh, is in the interest of the, the president to continue a campaign uh, of, of distraction that will lead him toward uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. Gary Robert.
4: <clears throat> well, I think uh, President Trump is someone, as Jim mentioned, either hate him or love him. You mentioned that. Uh, <clears throat> but I think a lot of people don't understand what happened two years ago when the country, when, when the Electoral College elected President Trump. He, uh, a lot of people still understand where he's coming from. Controversial, absolutely. Polarizing, yes. But he has some very basic promises that he made that he's keeping. And that's what I believe the majority of American people were looking for. The status quo they felt had to change. Uh, The important issues about pro-life and the decisions of the Supreme Court, these were issues that were more important to many voters than some of the other issues. Not that those other issues weren't important, but those key issues were the ones that they were hoping they would get a spokesperson for. We mm-hmm. wanna
0: pull those pictures right now. I wanna just show the photos from uh, the president's appearance here, because it was fascinating. Obviously, this is you know, our president here. But when you look at the support that he enjoyed while he was here, it, it was thousands of people mm-hmm. uh, in our stadium. You can see people that are inside of the, the convention center there. There was an <laughs> overflow outside of the convention center as well. But by the same token, you had your fair share of people that were uh, protesting the president and his presence here. So we'll start with the, with the Democrats. What is it that you think, um, you know, where this president's concern? concerned? We talked about how polarizing he is, and before we move forward, why is there such a negative reaction to this president in your opinions? And then we'll go to you in terms of why you believe so many people rally behind this president as passionately as they do. Why is there such a negative reaction in your opinion, Nikki?
1: Um, I think there's a negative reaction because he engages in so many negative activities and so much negative um, communications via Twitter and in his interviews or or, or in any um, avenue or medium that he communicates in. He's not really out there spewing positivity and you attract what you put out. He puts out negativity, so that's what he gets back oftentimes in return, and in the policies that he promotes and that he works for, even the way he, even if the policy is one that we could debate about, the way he articulates that policy is often in a negative manner. And so I feel like people feel attacked by him, people feel very, vulnerable by a lot of the policies that he promotes. And when I say feel vulnerable, these are people who are often in the most vulnerable and marginalized communities to begin with. So in that respect, he has a very bully mentality. I'm not gonna punch up, I punch down. I'm gonna go after black and brown people, after immigrants, after people in the LGBTQ community, after poor people. And when people feel attacked, they often, you know, hit back and I think, he sets the tone, he sets a negative tone. And so it ends up being a negative experience a lot of times.
0: So Robert, despite everything she's saying, there are a great deal of people that seem to love this president. What is that about in your opinion?
2: Well, when we
0: had a rally in Erie, you get people
2: coming from Meadville, Pittsburgh, Cleveland surrounding area because it's close by and the president attracts a crowd. So there are, some people are excited just to see the president period. Um, he, d- he does. He j- did generate a certain following, starting back in 2015, of people who were anti-establishment, people who uh, felt that the uh, what they call establishment politicians were not getting the job done, were not keeping their promises, and they wanted something to change drastically. Um, I'm one of the people that tries to separate the personality from the policy because, you know, I often disagree and don't like what I see on, you know, on Twitter, on television, on a daily basis, but I focus on the accomplishments and what he's trying to get done on a long-term agenda.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll stay with the Republicans for just a second. Many say that the rural poor is a group that felt dis- disenfranchised, and that group jumped on board with Trump when he came along because they, f- they felt like something he was saying was resonating with them. What would you say to that, Gary?
4: Well, when you talk about the rural, which is typically associated with Republican... primarily, I think, because of the agricultural base also, which is indicative of many of the rural areas. Uh, They hold basic beliefs such as pro-life, small government, lower taxes, less government involvement of what they're doing from day to day. And I think that's what attracted a lot of them who are typically of the so-called Republican gender, uh, to get behind President Trump so strongly because they felt that they had an opportunity to try to get the direction of the country back on those tracks. Mm-hmm.
0: Jim, the um, the impoverished people in the county, the rural poor, why Trump and not Hillary this past election, in your opinion?
3: Well, I think there was some mistrust of, of, of perceiving Hillary as kind of urban elitist uh, in, in many ways. Uh, I, I would disagree. Uh, With Gary about um, the agricultural folks in in the rural parts of the county and in rural America, Um, agricultural folks have been well represented by Democrats and Democratic policies. Uh, They rely on government subsidies uh, for for uh, most of uh, their their crop uh, control uh, and market market prices um, so they understand the value of government in uh, in their life and in their work um, and and uh, farmers have struggled under this president um, and I think that translate that then ripples throughout uh, the rural community obviously you know the farmers make up one percent of the American workforce. So that's a small group. But um, but rural America is comprised of folks who uh, who are surrounded uh, by agriculture, who are surrounded um, by communities that feel that ripple effect just as urban communities felt the ripple effect of deindustrialization over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. So, Robert, give me your
0: sense of what you believe the Trump effect will be on the midterm elections. And Nikki, I'll throw that same same question to you after the fact.
2: I think he's motivating both sides. We saw in Erie County a pretty mu- pretty equal increase in Democratic and Republican registrations. Um, I-, I think the Kavanaugh hearings had an effect in getting the Republicans' vote riled up to go uh, vote for the federal races. Um, the election largely will be a referendum on how you feel Trump has been doing the first 20 months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Nicky.
1: Um, <clears throat> I believe uh, Jim spoke about this earlier. I think. He's having the effect of energizing people. And people who um, at times may have felt like they could sit on the sidelines are seeing, oh, no, he's talking about me. He's talking about my children. He's talking about my neighbor. He's When he calls her a horse face, he's talking about me, too. I can't stand on the sidelines. I cannot afford to. I have to step up. I have to let my vote be my voice. So I think he is having an effect of kind of waking people Out of their slumber and in a sense waking up a sleeping giant because Mm -hmm. the majority of the people did not elect him this first time and the majority of the people don't agree with his policies Mm -hmm. so I think he's going to have the effect of of waking up the majority of the people to to counteract um, the agenda that he's trying to push through for a minority of mm-hmm. the people in this country.
2: Either way, hopefully we'll have higher than the normal turnout for a midterm election. That's <laughs> what we're hoping as <laughs> <is>
0: well. <why. laughs> so you, you mentioned minorities. Let's let's stick with that for a minute because as I am taking inboxes from people, emails from people, engaging in conversations leading up to this show, minority engagement was something that people were keenly interested in. And two of the things that I heard regularly, first of all, the Republican Party, the general consensus is this is a party that is not interested in minorities. The Democrat Party. What I'm hearing often is this is a party that takes the minority vote for granted. So, starting with the Republican Party, what do you say when people say Republicans don't seem to be interested? And obviously, not just African Americans, minorities in general. It's not a a, of great interest to your party in terms of engaging them. What do you say to that?
2: I say that things have changed a lot in the 21st century, and we are getting more uh, uh, people of Asian background, and even uh, we had an increase in the number of black voters for. Uh, Trump in the presidential election because they didn't like really what they saw in the current environment from either party. Um, I would also point out that uh, under this administration, in the first 600 days or so, the unemployment numbers for uh, minority-owned businesses and minority uh, workers have been the best they have been in at least 18 to 20 years under some statistics. We just saw that the unemployment rate is the lowest it has been since 1969, so anyone that's trying to find a job or is working is probably going to be happier when the economy improves regardless of who's in office. But things have been going in the right direction for at least the last 20 months.
0: Mm -hmm. Jim, the minority engagement, does the Democratic Party take minorities for granted?
3: Uh, I I don't think so. I think there there may have been uh, a history of, of trying to figure out how the various factions of the Democratic Party all fit together, but I think uh, one of the one of the themes that has uh, arise um, from two thousand and eight and two thousand and twelve, where Barack Obama did not win a majority of white voters in any state in the United States of America, uh, is an indication of how important um, what. what is commonly identified as the minority vote, how important that is. I don't refer to it as the minority vote anymore because it's a powerful plurality. You put together black, brown, new American voters uh, and that is a coalition uh, that that is clearly a game changer in this country. Mm,
0: I would be remiss if I didn't allow Nikki to chime in on this as an African American (coughs) woman.
1: Yes. Um, As uh, both a woman and an African American would be representative of To minorities, Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yes, there is a perception, and I would say it actually is a reality that the Republican Party um, has shown itself to not be so concerned about issues that affect the day-to-day lives of black and brown people, of LGBTQ people, of poor people. And you can see that, again, I don't want I don't care about your slogan or what your what your brand is. What are you doing? What policies are you actually trying to put into effect? That's where I look to see if you care about me. And when you don't care about student loans and when you're putting in policies um, that benefit the wealthiest, of the people, when you're taking money from middle-income people and poor people via tax cuts to give it to people who have more than they could ever spend, that tells me that you're not really concerned about me and people who look like me. But on the flip side, I think there actually is a perception, unfortunately, among the Democratic Party and among young people, among black and brown people, that the Democratic Party cares about us when it's time to vote. You want to come to our church when it's time to vote, but I don't see you for the four years in between you know, in my community. Where are you when shootings are happening? Where are you when businesses are closing? Where are you um, when local policy, when schools are closing? Where are you then? Don't just come three months before Election Day Mm -hmm. to rile me up then. What are you doing in the meantime, in between time? And also, I think the Democratic Party has to do a better job of running people who look like the people you're you're, you're claiming to serve. Mm -hmm. We need more black and brown candidates, more women candidates. We need leadership that looks like the base. Mm.
0: Gary, I'll let you chime in on this as well.
4: Thank you. I, I believe those general statements of both parties are are wrong because <clears throat> I don't think the Democrats uh, ignore any particular segment. I don't think the Republicans ignore any segment. I think they're both keenly interested in all those Americans. Uh, they're referred to as minorities, but I think a lot of good candidates don't look at someone as to the just them, if they're a minority or if they're male or female. They're all equal citizens. And when they're fighting for what we're talking about, <clears throat> those generalities just seem to confuse things. And, and, and I think it's unfortunate uh, <clears throat> that an era is being created where they think that Republicans are just trying to protect the wealthiest. Uh, that's not true. And I don't think uh, some of the things said against the Democrats are true. The fact is we both try to put candidates in the front that are really looking for what's best in the country. Uh, We work very hard to try to put Republican candidates up, the most qualified. The Democrats work very very hard to get good Democratic candidates. I think we both have the same motivations. Uh, Certainly there are some leaders, like you mentioned, President Trump, who rub a lot of people the wrong way. But I think Robert's comment is true. Uh, We don't like a lot of what we see either, but we're looking at results. We're looking at what's improving the country, what important issues are being addressed.
0: Mm. So let me go to a question I received. So what are the policies that motivate you to be a Republican? Let me change that question. If someone's watching and they're on the fence, what policies exist in the Republican Party or re- Republican candidates that you believe would encourage someone to jump on board with your party right now? And I'll bring that question back to you, too, as well, after the fact. Robert, we'll start with you. Usually uh, economic issues,
2: um, taxes, economic development, uh, who's going to create jobs, who's going to be better for uh, bringing goods and services back to the country, trying to restore Can you give some specific jobs? examples to that? Well, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed last year, once that uh, was signed into law last December, uh, many companies announced that they'd now be able to hire more people, that they would give bonuses, and that uh, you'd be able to have more jobs created in this country, and we see that reflected in the lower unemployment rate and uh, economic indicators are up, consumer confidence is up. So that's working in the right direction. Um, uh, Social issues, I think, tend to... uh, drive people more on the the left side of the spectrum. Um, And the internet plays a big role in politics more than it used to because there's so many discussions on things like Facebook and Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't really have their information correct or they see a meme and they forward it on and on and then we have to go and fact check what's actually true, what's not, are the numbers accurate.
0: That's um, becoming a, par- a problem all the way around. Right, nowadays. right.
2: If I, if I spent all my time correcting what I see in here, I wouldn't have time to do anything
0: else. Mm. Let me bring that over to Jim. Jim, I'm on the fence. What policies sure. that are championed by the Democratic Party would bring me to your team? Well, first,
3: I would challenge the, the presumption that, that- social issues are geared more toward the left i think a lot of uh, social issues that people are concerned with uh, social security medicare health care i think those are are common sense issues and i think that when you talk to people about those issues and you have a conversation uh with a with a voter who's on the fence one-on-one those issues really resonate because folks folks have come to rely on those programs, I was in Crawford County a, a few weeks ago, and I, I was talking to voters there. and 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 for some of those folks, the um, uh, the the exclusion of pre-existing conditions from health care w- was a, a critical issue for them. Um, they they understood that members of their family, people that they loved, people that uh, that the, that they cared for, um, might not be here today um, if, uh, if folks couldn't get health care as a result of a pre-existing con- condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think those kind of uh, social foundations, policies that provide uh, a good social support system in this country uh, are critical. And I think that, uh, that many voters, when they think about their own personal situation, can relate to those policies and identify um, with the party that, that, that best uh, supports and, and secures them. This is next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson.
0: Uh, We are in studio with uh, two representatives from the Democratic Party, two representatives from the Republican Party, and we are talking about the midterms and policies affecting both parties and voter turnout, things along these lines. And joining us, representing the Democratic Party, we have Nikki Page and Jim Wirtz. Representing the Republican Party, we have Gary Carver and Robert Yates. Let's go to the debate for a second. We'll talk about that specific race soon but one of the things that ron Nicola did that i thought was interesting that uh, many people have spoken about since he pointed out certain things that president trump was doing that he agreed with that he would work with and i thought it impressed people that he showed uh, at least a desire to reach across the aisle i always get these bipartisan questions and you know you've got this adversary relationship between dnr for the republicans we'll start with you what are the democrats doing well that you feel like as a party you should be doing more of? And I'll bring that back over to the Democrats afterwards. What are the, what are the Democrats doing well that you think, you know, we should adopt more of that?
4: Well, uh, I think one thing, okay. one thing they're doing well <clears throat> is they try to get to the, the base of the citizenry. Uh, <clears throat> they're getting into the schools and to a lot of the community events uh, down to the, the, the real bottom core And I think they do a good job of that, and they uh, they encourage people to register to vote and get out and make their 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 opinion known. And uh, I'd like to see the Republican Party do a better job in that same area. I Mm.
2: I agree. I think the Democrats do a better job of outreach, of going out to the people, of trying to register new voters, of trying to get. Younger and newer people involved in the process. The Republican Party tends to kind of stick to the same traditional events and isn't willing to step outside the box, and make the extra effort, and that's why we're trying to get more younger people involved that have the time, they're willing to take that extra
0: step. Mm. Well, are the Republicans doing well. That the Democrats should do more of possibly.
1: I think that Republicans go hard or go home. Mm. They don't mince words they have their beliefs they have their policy no matter what everybody else feels about it i don't care this is what i'm for so that fight that fighting spirit of i know this is an unpopular policy and most of the people in this country are against it but i'm going to throw it out there and i'm going to go hard for it and i think the republican party is is really good at that i think they're really good at Solidifying their base and staying on message with that base, and not veering off track and getting distracted by bells and whistles in other places. Um, and I think those are two strengths, two things that maybe I can't even believe I'm going to say this that maybe Democrats could learn a thing or two. You know, mm, well, you,
0: I think
3: I think, I, I think that I, I think that Nikki's uh, on point there. That that. Republicans since the the mid-70s have done a tremendous job of creating a singular message and trying to deliver that message to the country. Um, In terms of actually delivering on the message, I think we could probably dispute that a bit, but they've done a great job of creating and staying on message and developing that brand. Uh, I would say, though, that that brand um, has created um, a rather homogenous party of of. Middle and upper class uh, white people in this country, and uh, and so I'm not sure that that while effective, I'm not sure that that's been wholly beneficial for the the country as a whole. So Jim has cut the Kumbaya moment short. <laughs> we had it
0: for a second, Jim. We Sorry, had Marcus. It. No problem at all. Gary, we'll go to you. You wanted to chime in on that.
4: Yes, I was I was hoping you'd ask me the question about why someone might be attracted to the sure, Republican bring that. Party. Uh, believe it or not, right after the election. In 2016, I was uh, interviewed by the Washington Post, and they said, "What happened up in Erie, for the historically Democratic stronghold, but it went Trump? What what happened up there?" And I said, "Well, I believe most of the people were missing one of the main issues of the campaign, and that was pro-life." And they said, you, "You're kidding." He almost laughed at me. I said, "No, you have to realize that the Republican Party has had a, a pro-life." platform from the very beginning Uh, the sanctity of human life from inception to natural death and i think a lot of the people who wanted to see that enforced more strongly were attracted and were extracted to the president trump for that reason now there are many democrats who feel the same way i know that and respect that they believe in the sanctity of life from inception to natural death. Unfortunately, the Democratic platform does not protect pro-life. They go with the the pro-BOTION issue, and that's been their national standard. And I think, even though this reporter thought I was crazy, and they may have been true, but I think uh, that was one of the biggest issues that swung a lot of the Voters over to that side. They wanted to see something done in that area.
3: Does anybody want to respond to that? The the Democratic Party nationally um, is does have uh, a a pro-choice message, Um, and I think that we see on on both sides of the spectrum candidates that are um, more eclectic in their beliefs um, tend to be really successful. Tom Ridge was a a, a pro-choice Republican. Uh, Bob Casey is a is a a pro-life Democrat. I think there's you know these are these are important distinctions to make, and I think Gary makes a, a very good point about this community in particular which is uh heavily catholic and in in most of the catholic schools i think there there are um uh pro-life clubs and 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 that is taught Um, and i think that becomes part of the fabric of this community but i i do take umbrage with the with the uh designation of pro-choice being pro-abortion. I think it's about it's about giving uh, women uh, an opportunity to make choices about their bodies for themselves. And, and so I think it's a little disingenuous when the Republican Party kind of draws a, a, a more uh, distinct line mm-hmm. on the issue. Well, let me say I, this. You
0: I'm can sorry. chime in. Gary. first okay. of all, thank you for doing that. Listen, the goal is to try to make sure everyone gets in, but by all, all means, If a question is not posed to you specifically and you wanna chime in, just throw me a signal. So thank you for doing that. Nikki, go ahead.
1: I also think it's important for us to really explain what we're talking about when we say Mm pro-life. Because if you're pro-life, how can you be pro-life and not be pro-education? How can you claim to be pro-life but not care about the environment and support policies that don't care about the environment? How can you be pro-life and there are babies drinking poisoned water three hours from here. So if you're gonna tell me that you're pro-life from conception to natural death, that life that comes out the womb has to be educated. It has to have access to nutritional food. It has to have a home. It has to have healthcare. Um, it, It has to have water that's not poisoned and going to cause cognitive setbacks for the rest of its life Mm -hmm. so i challenge the republican party when you say that you're pro-life which is fine i i get that i will not uh debate anybody about that but if you are going to claim the flag of being pro-life i'm going to need you to care about that life after it's out of the womb i'm going to need you to care about the lives that are shot by police actors when they are you know, unarmed and not committing a crime. I'm gonna need you to care about those lives as well. And if you really are pro-life, you would speak up more when things like that happen. But I hear deafening silence from the pro-life camp when black lives are being killed in the streets. That's my issue.
2: Robert, what do you say to that? Wow. <laughs> well, I think when he's talking about the pro-life issue, um, some people are, one issue voters are doing specifically by the. Fact about the pregnancy and the nine months in the womb. Nikki's talking about the quality of life after someone is born, and I agree with her just about completely. I work in public education. I've cleaned up the environment on an annual basis many times down at uh, Frontier Park and Cascade Creek, and helped others do the same. Um, I follow the news and care just as much about people that are sh- shot uh, further, you know, that shouldn't be, that are defenseless, um, and. She has a very good point that we do need to care more about other issues in life, and not just when someone is born. Um, so she, she's got a very good angle mm-hmm. there, and I think we should have more discussion on that. But in terms of abortion, I think the issue is basically when. Someone becomes pregnant, Mm -hmm. do they have the right to terminate the the life inside them before birth, is what the whole most of the issue and debate has been about for so many years. Mm -hmm.
3: How how can the Republican Party be about smaller government and getting government out of your life and be for a, a, a regulation that is so constricting on an individual's right to make decisions for themselves?
2: Well, because some people believe that abortion is tantamount to the crime of murder. So they consider that... More of a life and death issue rather than a protection. Then, shouldn't we
3: have issue. greater gun regulation? Shouldn't we have greater protections for. Uh, we already
2: do. Many of them are not enforced. Shouldn't we be working harder to enforce them? If law enforcement is funded and trained properly, the existing laws on the books should be enforced. Yes. And,
1: shouldn't more women, the people who would actually have to make that choice and actually have to experience that pregnancy, be in the halls of Congress making these decisions?
2: Let's get them on the ballot. And I'd love to see them run for office. That's a big problem we have with, uh, Gary and I are both former regional chairman of, of uh, the Mill Creek Party, the Republican Party. When you retru- uh, try to recruit candidates to run for offices, particularly in local elections, first the thing they wanna know is, they wanna know who's gonna fund them, what kind of support can they count on, and do they have a realistic chance? And if those three questions aren't answered satisfactorily, they're not going to bother to run in the first place. Mm -hmm. So a lot of good people, like Nikki's mentioning, that should run for office, don't bother or aren't willing to try because they don't feel they're going to be supported. They don't feel they have a shot of winning. So they just
0: give up. Before I move on, Gary, you looked like you wanted to add something to that.
4: Yes. I think Nikki's comments were right on. Uh, It's not just about pro-life. It continues on. And I think when people are looking for candidates that will help protect the environment, will help protect educational issues, and all these other important issues, I think they see if someone believes in the sanctity of life as one of their primary concerns, it would follow most commonly that they're also going to be concerned about the quality of education for our children. Mm -hmm. And the access of all minorities and male and female to all of these uh, organizations that are so important in our country. And I think uh, what you said is true. All these other issues are most important and we all should be working toward them. And we don't disagree with that at all.
0: I think Nikki gave us something interesting to think about in general because you had the Black Lives Matter movement and then people count it with all lives matter. Well, careful with that, because we wanna see how consistent you are when you say all lives matter. I think that's something for both parties to consider. You make an excellent point. Go ahead, Jim.
3: I I, I, I need to, to challenge the assertion that, that Republican candidates do care about the quality of of education in particular as someone who also works in education. I take umbrage with the fact that we have a president who appointed a secretary of education who proposed $9 billion in cuts to public education. Last year she didn't get them, thankfully. The Congress, uh, the the Congress didn't uh, approve that particular proposal, um, and we had a, a Republican governor, uh, a pro-life governor, who cut uh, several million dollars from public education uh, in the Commonwealth uh, and from public higher education as well. So we're not seeing those investments that are going to improve the quality of life. And the 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 highest poverty rates that we have, not only in Erie County but across the Commonwealth, uh, are for children under the age of five. So we're not doing a good job to put these uh, these children on a, a quality uh, path uh,
0: of life. Someone wanna to respond to that before I move on to the next question?
4: Well, I think it's a situation, Marcus, where uh, people think that throwing money at a certain issue is gonna resolve that issue to the positive. That's not always the case, uh, and it's a very complex issue. And I appreciate the fact that funding for education is so important. And I think uh, Democrats and Republicans both agree to that. The question ends up, well, how much? And then how do we get it? Uh, we're going to have to get that money from the citizens, taxes. Mm-hmm. and where, where do you draw the line? That's extremely difficult. I think we both have a, a love of education and understand how important it is especially if the United States is gonna remain a leader in the world. But the question boils down to where do you draw the line? Where does government not need to be where local government or local organizations can accomplish the same results without having to burden taxpayers? Mm -hmm.
0: This is next on WQLN Radio. We are joined in studio, WQLN. We're joined in studio by Nikki Page, Jim Wurtz, Gary Carver, Robert J. Yates. We are discussing uh, the midterms uh, republicans democrats and uh, we're talking about various issues many of these questions coming from you uh the listeners and the viewers another question that we receive what issues are more erie county issues uh, that local candidates should focus on in your opinion we'll start
3: with the uh, the democratic candidates what issues are more localized that you think we should lean into? Well, I do think uh, I do think education is an important issue, and I think the candidates and, and elected officials uh, up and down the spectrum in the Commonwealth um, need to take education and funding for education more seriously um, I also think that uh, that when we're talking about uh, community development uh, and economic development in the community um, that that needs to be a community conversation I'm I'm grateful and I'm excited about the over half a billion dollars of investment that's going into Erie right now mm-hmm. um, but uh, but we need to make sure that, um, that that folks who are affected by that investment um, are part of that conversation moving forward, and I, I think the the conversation that we have about uh, getting started about community benefit agreements is a is a good uh, a good starting point. What
0: issue should we be leaning into from a Republican standpoint that are uh, that affects the local landscape here? In your opinions, either or. Go
4: ahead. I think uh, economic development is terribly important. We've lost some very important businesses in the past. 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, A lot of that is because of the attraction to the South, lower wages, uh, better climates, and so on. Uh, But the bottom line is, I think a lot of local political institutions have not been very pro-business. They think that they're trying to help uh, the hardworking blue-collar class by coming down hard on industry and business. And There are certain areas where that is necessary and to be commended. There are others that actually deter businesses from coming here. A high tax base, uh, an atmosphere among many politicians that if it has to do with business or management, it's bad. If it has to do with the worker, it's good. Well, that's not the right way to look at it. And I think that is reflected in a lot of our politicians' attitude and i believe many of them now are coming around to understand that if you can provide an atmosphere where business can thrive fairly and justly everyone is going to prosper especially the the worker the laborer and all those other satellite businesses in our community that prosper because major industry and commerce prospers
0: let me let me move on to this question what effect do you believe, we'll start with you, Nikki, the, the Kavanaugh hearings, what, what effect do you think that will have on the midterms um, from a Democratic perspective?
1: Um, well, I definitely think women were already seriously engaged just based on again, the rhetoric of the president, and um, just when you, you look in his surroundings and you see kind of like the lack of, of women appointees in his cabinet. Um, so I think women were already engaged, but I think just being able to see for you know eight hours uh, on, on screen um, the way that this woman um, was treated and then how he spoke about her afterwards and how he mocked her and just how in the 20 or so years since, you know, the Anita Hill situation to this situation, how you see that women are still not represented. Um, We don't have representation the way that we should and the numbers that we should in our government. And I think um, you can see it across the country that women are running for office. Women are winning. Women are saying, you know what? Let us you've had 200 or so years. You've tried. We thank you. <laughs> Let us try. Let us see what we can it's do. Nikki run, I
0: <laughs> so so Robert, the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. What effect, if any, in your opinion will it have on the midterms? I don't
2: think there was much of a controversy throughout uh, July, August, and September until the um, the story, the allegations were released and came out. And that date, September 27th, when they had first the Professor Blasey Ford's testimony and then Kavanaugh's testimony and had millions of people watching live that really got people energized on both sides and i think if the republicans were complacent about the federal elections particularly for the house and the senate they found an important reason they're motivating them to go vote and keep the senate majority for one thing because they didn't like how the democrats were treating the witnesses or how they were treating the other members of the committee and i was really embarrassed when they were going into the details of Mann's high school yearbook all the activities they did was 16 i thought it was just really petty
4: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What races should we be? Uh, what are key races in your opinion? Obviously, we've got the, the Kelly Nicola race. P- people are paying close attention to mm-hmm. um, Wolf Wagner. That's getting interesting. The video dropped the other day. And oh good Lord. for lack of a better term, it was just it was a fascinating video to watch. It was a WWE moment, <laughs> <laughs> if you will. What are key races to pay attention to uh, from a Democrat perspective?
3: This congressional race is the most important race for this community um, it, for several decades, I would say, uh, it, it's critical uh, for Erie, I think, to have representation uh, back in Washington, D.C. It's critical for Erie to have a voice. We've been reunited, ungerrymandered, if you will, and put back together. And I think we've been made whole there. Now it's time that we get a unified voice uh, in Washington as well. And I think Ron did a good job of articulating that uh, at the debate, as you pointed out earlier, where he talked about uh, some of the president's policies that he agreed with and, and some places Places where he would uh, work across the aisle and I think he's he's shown that historically through his work here in Erie County as well working on bipartisan issues uh, like pre-k for PA and uh, and the community college hmm
4: I've got real good news for Jim we have excellent representation in Congress <laughs> you're not surprised uh, Mike Kelly's performance has been uh, excellent uh, he's He's been accused of, of being a, a rubber stamp for President Trump, and I think that's unfortunate. He votes
3: with him 96% of the time.
0: <clears throat>
4: yes, I know. The I,
3: voting
0: record is very consistent.
4: And the 4% was against them, And I understand that, but I understand that they were both fighting for some of the same principles and the same objectives, and that's why their voting records are so consistent, in my opinion. But I think he's done a good job of protecting business, protecting the veterans, protecting the elderly, and I know we could— GO INTO HOURS AND HOURS OF DISCUSSION OF ALL of this, THOSE ISSUES. BUT he's, HE'S A MEMBER OF THE VERY POWERFUL WAYS AND MEANS COMMITTEE. I THINK HE'S DONE A VERY EFFECTIVE JOB. AND I'M HOPEFUL THAT THE VOTERS WILL CONTINUE that representation in Washington.
2: I want to stress the advantages, emphasizing of having someone like Mike Kelly, who's been in local government. He's been on the school board and the city council in Butler County. He has experience at the local level working with budgets and personnel before he was in Congress. Now that he's been in, in Congress several terms, it's a big plus to have a, a congressman who's pretty good friends with the president and was a colleague of the vice president and has all those advantages. You saw that when President was Trump, Trump was here, how much they know each other and appreciate each other. Um, There's a lot of advantages to incumbency and to someone with Mike's background and all his knowledge and experience from business, from being at the local level in the school board and city council and now being in the federal government. Um, That's that's something you won't have with a freshman congressman of the opposite party. And the Democrats may not win the majority. I've seen, you've probably seen different forecasts of, you know, who's going to get to 218 first and whether it's going to go change, change, be the same, or one side's going to gain a few seats, or the other. That's all going to depend on turnout on November 6th. It's going to depend on who shows up to vote. And I do hope we get more voters, but uh, showing up on the midterm elections than usual. But Mike Kelly is a great guy. I, he's, some people don't, you know, he's loud, he's fast talking, he, he has a set of philosophy. That's not, that some object to, it. And, and I'll give credit, Rondi Nicole is a good candidate, and I was there at the Debate Mercer's, he was very articulate, and I thought was a very, did, did well, and was compelling. Um, but Mike is someone I am proud to support. Mm. And I agree that, Jim, the congressional race is probably the most intense, the most interesting going on right now, affecting Erie County at the local level. And as someone who was a delegate to the Republican National Convention two years ago and had to go all around the old district, I like the shape of this one better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're down to five counties instead of seven, and it's more vertical north and south. Mm-hmm. And I agree that it's good to have Erie County back in one piece.
3: Somebody want to add to that before I move on? I would. I would... Just add that I, I agree that voter turnout <clears throat> is critical on November 6th, and 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 we're hopeful that uh, these Democrats that are that are motivated, uh, not just Democrats, but but Democrats and Independents, and and we know that there's a lot of uh, Republican support for Ron and Erie County as well. And I think that uh, I think that for all of those folks that are mobilized now, for all of those po- folks that are engaged in any of the issues that we've discussed today, um, if they don't follow through and show up at the polls on November. Sixth, um, they've they've squandered uh, the, their opportunity to, to participate in a broader conversation. And I, mm-hmm. I
2: wouldn't I would not deny that Mr. Dean Nicola is very strong in Erie County and may well prevail in Erie County. But we've got four other uh, counties south of the district: Crawford, Mercer, Butler, and Lawrence, where it, the situation is different. Particularly once you get south of I-90, and there's a lot more Republican support down there. And we still have you know the district is still rated as lean Republican or about plus eight Republican. Um, the Democrats will probably be very strong up in Erie and the surrounding suburbs, but south of here, it's for the most part, a different story. And I think Mike will still probably prevail, although this will be a close race, I think maybe within four points.
0: Mm. So I've got one question specifically for the Democrat representatives, and then one for the Republicans. First for the Democrats, we talked about the Wolf versus Wagner race. Question was Governor Wolf claims to be pro-business, but denies businesses with less than 50 employees from participating in association health plans. To save on costs and provide health insurance for their employees, why is there not more bipartisan support for this non-ideological issue?
3: Well, I think for for some folks, it, it may be an ideological issue when you talk about uh, small business policy in the United States. I think I think Governor Wolf is it, it has been incredibly uh, small business friendly. I think that um, I think that when it comes to healthcare, uh, we've kind of, we, we've made it a more complex issue from the federal level to the local level. Um, and, and, uh... I'm glad that we have the Affordable Care Act for folks to uh, participate in, and I think that's that's been a huge boon. A lot of these companies um, the, that have uh, less than 50 employees uh, have a significant number of part-time employees as well, um, and that that can be difficult to carry uh, the weight of healthcare for part-time employees, and so they try to offset that many times uh, with uh, with with a, a wage adjustment that is going to allow them to participate in, uh, in a, a health care plan of their choosing. Gary or Robert?
4: Well, I find it uh, interesting to, to understand why uh, companies with 50 or fewer employees are excluded. It's because some of those requirements and those demands can be uh, quite a hardship on those businesses. But if you turn that around, you realize that this type, most type of government regulation is also quite a burden on large business, Mm -hmm. or small to medium size. And you could go on to to draw the same conclusion that these mandates, uh, these legislation can be quite a burden on large business as well. It's an indication that perhaps uh, the overall view and the approach to that issue is is too overburdensome for a lot of businesses.
0: Mm. You wanted to chime in, Rock? Just
2: real quick, any time I've ever been at an event where a candidate is running for a statewide office, whether it's a state legislature, a governor, a senator, and there's uh, someone from business there, they always talk about regulations. They're frustrated with regulations on their business, whether it's you know, how often they have to file reports to the state. So those kinds of things do matter most to them. And I've, I've heard that many times with anyone who's running for statewide office. Anybody
3: want to chime in on that before I move on? No, I think uh, you know regulations uh, are generally in place to ensure that um, that that folks a- and operations kind of stay in their lanes and and have some some guiding procedures. Um, I, I think that we've seen uh, at times when uh, when industries are, are deregulated, that they've, they fail to meet environmental standards, they fail to meet worker standards, uh, they fail to meet uh, wage standards, and so uh, it's important, I think, that we do have uh, some modicum of regulation across the board. Well, mm-hmm. Fair enough,
2: and that's all true, but some of them are just plain outdated and some of them are ridiculously cumbersome and burdensome and need to be removed, but Jim is right that we do have to have some basic standards in place,
0: but a lot of these things need to be reduced or eliminated or just plain outdated. Mm. We'll start with the Republicans on this question. Erie County has always voted for Democratic candidates until 2016. Why did voters who would never switch party lines not only vote red for the president, but Erie County overwhelmingly voted out a Democratic incumbent, Sean Wiley, and supported a Republican candidate, Dan Laughlin, for state Senate?
2: I think they were looking for something new. I think they were looking for new faces. As I've mentioned earlier in the broadcast, I think people were just fed up. Um, Dan Laughlin was new, he was interesting, the, he hadn't been uh, been running for office before, he very compelling, had a good story, and uh, people were willing to give him a try. And He had a very good campaign and got elected. Uh, as for uh, the people that uh, voted for Trump that probably wouldn't have, it was the first time Erie County went red since uh, the Reagan 1984 re-election, I believe, and it was by about 2,000 votes. And actually, uh, Trump also carried the Great Lake States, uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin by small margins, but by enough to get the electoral votes.
0: So the desire for something new or someone new, will that pattern, in your opinion, play out in the Dean Nicola Kelly
3: race? I hope not. Jim. I I have a suspicion that that, that it may, um, and, and I think and I think we're in a cycle of of looking for new faces and and new voices because uh, as I think Robert said earlier, people are are really uh, tired with the status quo, and I think the status quo has has shifted, and, and when we talk about that, I think it's maybe defined a little bit differently than it would have been several years ago. Um, I, I think that. Uh, a couple of things happened in 2016 and 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 we have to keep this in context that that although we are uh, erie traditionally does vote democratic uh and it has traditionally voted democratic for uh the presidency um at other Uh, federal uh, level seats it often votes Republican Uh, and and so um, that's something to keep in mind number one. Number two um, there were folks in Erie County who were looking for something different and in the primary, that's something different. Was Bernie Sanders, and in the general election, that's something different. Became Donald Trump because it was different. And I would say that we often do a disservice to the Trump campaign by not talking about the strategy that they employed as well, which I think was incredibly smart. Um, the 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 Trump team uh, and maybe the Republican National Party. I'm not sure where it came from, but did a tremendous amount of of data analysis and and not only pinpointed. States where Trump um, had campaigned heavily and had a, had a great ground game, and realized that they had locked up those states, and so they re- reapportioned resources into states uh, like Pennsylvania, where they were a little bit behind, and began to push and push and push. And what the other the other thing that they did that was incredibly smart was to target counties that would tip the scales in those states so it was they didn't come into Pennsylvania and make a statewide effort they came into Pennsylvania and they went to those counties that would that would ultimately be able to uh, to, to strategically, to get, strategically the get, get the electoral votes and, and I and I think and I, I think that it was a brilliant strategy to, to that point and I think that, that Democrats can learn something about the level of data analysis and the way that, the, that those votes were targeted uh, in two thousand. 16. Mm-hmm. The Clinton campaign didn't do that. They ran a very, you know, it's commonly referred to as the Brooklyn campaign because, mm-hmm. because she didn't uh, do a great deal of campaigning in states where where she didn't think, uh, one, she had something to worry about, or states where she thought she didn't have a chance of winning. And so they, they kind of talked to to the middle and to the base, uh, to, to the left middle and to the base, and it turned out to be um, a, a, an ineffective strategy in terms of the Electoral College. Mm-hmm she still did win the popular vote Um, and and so you know we have some some reconciliation there
2: and do you you think that uh, a lot of the uh, Democratic vote left when uh, Hillary was nominated and Sanders did not do you think you lost some support there because I saw saw a lot of that people that were enthused for Bernie that weren't really Listen, happy there, 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 have
3: been, there have been divisions within both parties, really, bubbling to the surface over the last uh, several election cycles. And I think that we had a perfect storm in the Democratic Party in 2016 um, that caused people who were committed to voting to go out and look for something different and those who were not committed to voting for something different to stay home uh, and, and vote with their silence. I want
0: to stay on division real quick before we close out because get Robert, you mentioned earlier something about compartmentalizing, separating um, mm. that rhetoric from the way you vote. Traditionally, I think that's been the case. It feels like there has been—people uh, are coming out of the closet with this, with this whole political landscape right now. I think when you look at the president, people oftentimes would try to separate, whether it was Bill Clinton or now, you know, President Trump. People would say, well, that's personal. We're sticking on politics. But the dialogue has gotten so ugly. Nikki, I'll start with you. Just has this, has this presidency exposed the fact that we are, whether it's racism, sexism, do we still have a lot of work to do in this area?
1: Uh, absolutely. I don't think that there's a credible argument to mm-hmm. say that we don't. But I think it's even deeper than just it's exposed, you know, that there are still racist people, that there are still people who deny the Holocaust happened. Mm-hmm. I think it's deeper than that. I mm-hmm. think President Trump is exposing can to us- can I interrupt for
0: two seconds because I can, I can hear people watching saying, well, Marcus, that's kind of a softball pitch. Well, no, I'm asking because <laughs> leading up to this moment, people insisted, no, these are areas that we're improving on and all of a sudden, doesn't look that way, but I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no.
1: It's like, uh, is it an improvement or is it an improvement? Like if you have a house that's rotting from the inside but you put a fresh coat of paint up, oh, that looks like an improvement. But if it, if the wood underneath is still rotting, is that really an improvement or is that cosmetic? I think that there have been cosmetic improvements um, when it comes to race relations or when it comes to social mobility in this country. but. What I was going to say is I think Trump has exposed to us some deep cultural problems that are going on in American society. There is a decay of morals. There is a decay of ethics generally, whether you're Republican outside of the political spectrum. Mm. There is something going on in our culture that's not good. Mm. And that is what kind of laid the groundwork or or allowed Trump to even ascend Mm. to the top. If we were a country that had morals and ethics and character and taught our children about morals ethics and character and honesty trump could never be elected because we would reject that Mm. so trump has revealed to us some serious um vulnerabilities culturally that i think no one's really talking about but that it's affecting so many areas of our daily lives that we really need to to Fixed. I agree that this
2: <laughs> that the way people look for politicians of who to vote for has changed in terms of standards qualifications and what they look for it's mostly now they vote for does he believe what I believe they used to elect you know resumes or people who had experience of previous government jobs
3: it's really changed in the last 10 or 15 years well I, I think I think Robert dodged the question somewhat, and, and I think what Nikki was talking about is decorum uh, of the office of the president, and I think that that sets a tone for the country in the way that we have these conversations. Um, I think when you have um, uh, a a commander in chief who is willing to 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 slander his uh, his political enemies um, and those who oppose him on any level, whether they be uh, public figures or, or individuals, um, I think that sets a bad tone for mm-hmm. the way that the rest of us have the conversation, uh, in, in, you know, in bars and restaurants and on the streets. Well, let me ask this to the Republicans, and then you can add to this uh, real quick as we're closing out.
0: I watched an interview where they talked to people from Anniston, Alabama, that were all staunch Trump supporters. And one of the things that several of them said was, hey, I agree with his policies. I wish he was more presidential. From a Republican standpoint, do you find yourself saying, okay, you're kind of crossing the line here in this particular instance?
4: Absolutely. Yes. In fact, uh, Nikki was right on when she says there seems to be deterioration, a lot of the moral fabric of the country, and and, then the real issue here is that some people then interpret that is that is why trump got in and just the opposite may be true it's because those people that hold those basic firm beliefs in this country smaller government pro-life a good uh, good judgments from the supreme court those are the people that saw in trump a means of getting that and they overlooked the fact that he's a narcissist that he says some insulting things from time to time. And yes, we don't understand that either. But I think they see the basic underlying issues mm-hmm. are being addressed and we're getting somewhere.
0: Jim, go with that. Because as we pointed out in the beginning, something is resonating.
3: Well, but I think it I think it begs the question of the folks who support someone like Donald Trump because of a singular issue. What What are you willing to sacrifice to get what you want? Mm-hmm. What are we willing to concede and to give up uh, in this political? Uh, in this political discussion, doing what discussion. I elected
2: him to do. Is what I keep hearing, or like he's doing exactly what he promised he would do, and he's doing exactly why I voted for him.
3: It seems more like he's he's working on slowly deteriorating uh, pretty symbolic institutions in this country, from from the media to Congress to the Supreme Court, um, and and I think that that. Uh, is a very difficult conversation for uh, for folks to engage in. We could go for hours on that.
1: (laughs) Can I just add, I think when you talk about deteriorating institutions, we have to face the fact that over the last 50 years education in this country has failed the electorate and understanding civics and understanding civic duties. People don't even understand those institutions, what they are, how they work, how one is supposed to check the other. People don't know about the institution. So it's hard for them to understand mm-hmm. that they're being deteriorated because they don't even know how they're supposed to function in the first place. Mm-hmm. I
0: agree. Robert, I've got one minute if you or Gary, I've got one minute if you want to rebut that before we close out.
4: Uh, if everyone is paying close attention, they realize a lot of the standards of the democratic party are the same as the standards of the Republican Party, with certain exceptions, of course, uh, which we alluded to today. But the fact is, all of us are trying to put good candidates forward for the electorate to analyze, study, and make good decisions so that we send good people to these political offices to help us all.
0: Excellent way to end the show. Well, you've been uh, listening to Next on WQLM. Thank our, our, our guests today so much today for coming in. Nikki Page, Jim Wirtz, Gary Carver, Robert J. Yates. We appreciate you coming on and informing the viewers, the listeners. And I personally got a great deal out of the show. We appreciate you being so germane and conciliatory towards one another. And uh, we've learned a lot today. Thank you for tuning in, the viewers, the listeners. Uh, you're the ones who make this show possible. You're the ones who make this show a success. So we thank you for tuning in. Tune in next time as we approach more issues that are affecting the Erie community on Next. That's the fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. 91.3 FM. You've been listening to and watching Next on WQLN. See you next time.